0: Hey everyone, it's, uh, it's Vincent from Scouting the Culture. Uh, before we leave you to enjoy the, the pod this week where JJ and I talk about running backs and where the Panthers are at the position, uh, uh, where they could go in the draft and also some stuff about the defence and, and some stuff they could potentially do there. Um, It's worth noting that we have an interview with Ball State running back Caleb Huntley in the pod this week It's at the end after we talk about uh, the rest of the running back position It's at the 73 minute mark for those who might want to skip to that directly Uh, It's really worth listening to, he talks about his preparation for the draft Things he's looking to refine technically and and also just what what the off-season looks like uh, For a prospect this year with all the COVID considerations in place So definitely check that out Um, Hopefully it's a ground for the rest of the pod as well And hope you enjoy
1: Hello and welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2021 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Rod Network and please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me, as he will be every week, is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at the Rod Report.
0: Hello, how are you?
1: Hey man, how you doing, man? Hey, it's been a crazy week. Super Bowl, you know, was last Sunday and the Bucks won and, you know, much to my dismay, I didn't really want to see them win a division rival uh, winning a Super Bowl and us having to watch that again. But as much as I don't like Tom Brady winning so much, I mean, I don't dislike the fella, but I hate the fact that he wins everything like all the time and, and I hate watching it. You know, people think that Carolina fans are uh, haters, you know, of Tom Brady. But I can't forget the 2003 season, you know, where I think he won his second Super Bowl against the Carolina Panthers. So you little does people know, little do people know about the Tom Brady thing is, is I was a big supporter of him when he was young. But as soon as he won that Super Bowl against us, I became a hater. And I haven't liked him and I haven't liked the Patriots since. And I will say this, when I watched him win, Sunday night, it felt a little bit better that it wasn't with the Patriots. Like he didn't add a, a Lombardi to their trophy case, but it still stung because it's with the Tampa Bay Bucs. You know who I always see as like the the bottom dwellers of our division. But now, because they won another Super Bowl, I think their first one was in two thousand and two, the year before we played in the Super Bowl, and then now here's their second. I almost feel like the Panthers may be the bottom dwellers at least for now and I don't like that feeling but uh, it is it is a thing and and Tampa Bay fans you know they get to celebrate for at least 12 months um, you know as the champions and and it just sucks you know but it is it is what it is and you know aside from that you know to see the, the J.J. Watt news this week was pretty crazy you know to see him be such a great Player um, for ten years with the Houston Texans, and to see that relationship severed this week was was somewhat I won't say surprising because there have been little nuggets dropped you know all season long um, you know with this displeasure with the organization started with I think the firing of their uh, vice president of communications um, so you could tell that things were going wrong and then you know, with all the Deshaun Watson stuff. And the the ownership and and the, you know, the staff you know there in Houston you could tell that there were problems but it's just kind of surreal seeing him um, get released you know the the way that he did so it's definitely a, a crazy week of football but this is the first week where we haven't had football since September you know yeah. there's, there's no NFL games this Sunday.
0: I think given COVID that the fact that they managed to get through the whole season without it, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think there are definitely ways in which the NFL deserves some criticism for how it was handled, but the fact that they managed to get through the entire season without it kind of completely breaking at any point um, is quite impressive. I think, I think just quickly to touch on a couple of things you mentioned, I think, I think the thing with the JJ Watt thing, I think, I think Houston is kind of going through a fairly aggressive rebuild. I think we'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson, but I, I, I think that's very much the transition of an era happening in Houston. I think it's interesting like with Tom Brady that like you mentioned. Um I was I'm a bit too young to really remember the the first Super Bowl the the 2003 one that that isn't so like, I I don't come in with that kind of emotional um <laughs> scar but but I I think for me I, I probably I've warmed to Tom Brady over time slightly if only because I think it's a bit like with LeBron. I know this is a very different conversation, but like they got anointed really, really early in their careers. Like they were in like all-time goat conversations in within like the first five, certainly the first you know seven or eight years of their career. And right. those things always, you know, as a sports media, we're very quick to make quite you know significant decisions. You know, Patrick Mahomes was anointed pretty, pretty quickly, and like it's not they're not unique in that regard. But there's always a bit that you think like, oh, this is this is this is quite a quick anointment. Um, and I think both players, both LeBron and Brady, have then maybe, you know, maybe not proven they are the greatest of all time, but have, have both really justified that kind of, you know, they've gone from being maybe a little overhyped to maybe being a little underappreciated just through people who almost got used to their sustained greatness. And I I think Brady is. Is too ruthlessly good at what he does for me to be particularly annoyed at him for doing it. Like it, it, you know. Whereas, say um, five years ago, it felt like maybe he'd been a little bit lucky in terms of how he was viewed. That maybe he hadn't always been quite as you know quite as great as as people. There's a bit of rose-tinted nostalgia in how he was viewed. I think now he's proven, even if he has become more physically limited he's still you know his his mental domination of the game is is just so impressive and it's very hard to to be too annoyed about someone just being very very good
1: I know you know and and honestly you know what you said is true you know the 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 eagerness or the over eagerness to anoint them early with Tom Brady and as you said LeBron James you know consistently I'm annoyed by both fellas you know, because I think, you know, growing up, being a little older than you, yeah, Michael Jordan was my guy, you know, in terms of, you know, being great. You know, that was the first picture of greatness I saw as an athlete, especially in the NBA, was Michael Jordan. And so I always feel like, you know, he's the greatest of all time. And so when I heard people say that LeBron James was the greatest, like after he won like his first championship, it annoyed me. Yeah,
0: no, um, I, I can understand that completely.
1: And in, in the football, it's the same, you know, with. I'm a big Joe Montana fan. Like, that's when I think about the quarterback position, I think Joe Montana. Uh, my favorite number is 16 because of Joe Montana. Like, that's my guy. That's my hero. You know, so a lot of people and, you know, a lot of young Carolina fans, for them, you know, their hero is Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a lot about heroes for different reasons. But, you know, for the younger fan, you know, that's the guy that they saw when they were young. Well, yeah. when I was young, the Carolina Panthers didn't exist. You know, but Joe Montana did. Yeah. You know, and so he was my goat. He is my goat. And when I heard people say that Tom Brady was the goat like 10 years ago,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I was annoyed. And so I became annoyed with his winning and annoyed with all of his successes. But I have gotten to the place where I have to acknowledge that he is great and he is possibly the greatest football player winner of all time but me personally I'm gonna stick with Joe Montana but you know that's enough about that I don't want to talk about Tom Brady winning anymore obviously I told you I don't really like it and I do appreciate him though and um, so let's talk about what we came to talk about today the draft and you know and 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 this is mock draft season yeah and it's it's funny because I saw Bill Vaughn you know of the Panthers come out and you know say something you know kind of controversial about mock drafts and, you know, how meaningless they are. You know, but for fans, fans love mock drafts. You know, it kind of helps us get from the off-season to draft day. Yeah. We can play around and we can see different scenarios. I know personally, I've made it a mission to not do very many mock drafts this year because I drive myself crazy. Yeah. But I also learn a lot about prospects when I do the mock drafts because typically I click on the prospects. I, I find out what their traits are, what their strengths are where they're from, you know, some of that, you know, some of the the draft um, websites and stuff, they have that information there. And and so I'm able to dig through those mock draft sites, but I don't get to the place where I'm posting my mock drafts all the time. Like I did a couple of years ago, I'm trying to wean myself from doing that, but I love seeing everybody else's mock drafts and, and a few mock drafts. Well, most of the mock drafts are going to have a quarterback for the Carolina Panthers this year. So let's just say that, you know, almost, I would say 90% of them have us selecting a quarterback and then you know every once in a while you see a very smart one with somebody like Sewell uh, from Oregon um drafted you know early on or um Slayton you know, Slater I'm sorry um you know drafted as left tackles you know to, to yeah. me those are smart but but then you have guys like Patrick Sertain popping up as a name to watch and I'm a big fan of Sertain's game uh, I'm a I'm a defensive guy let me just say that like I love defensive players during the season I was big on Micah Parsons so just to be consistent I I thought that he was a great prospect and I wanted you know one of those game-changing linebackers like we saw Devin White um, you know do for the for the Tampa Bay Bucs all season and in the Super Bowl I want our guy I want a guy to replace Luke Keekly not to replace him but to to fill to fill his position and right now I don't think we have a guy like that so Micah Parsons was my guy but as I saw the season progressing, because I couldn't see Michael Parson's play because he opted out, I did see some Patrick Sertain, and, and I think we have to eventually address the cornerback the position um, to have a lockdown type of guy. But so, you know, what do you think about the Panthers potentially drafting a cornerback at number eight or some other position at number eight?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly, I'm very open to the idea of you know you you take particularly early, not early rebuilds, but like when when you are rebuilding rather than sort of pushing for immediate contention, I think you do really have to focus on just taking the best player and building building a talented roster rather than necessarily like addressing specific needs. So, I, I the idea of not taking a quarterback is absolutely something I would I would support if if the board falls that way. I I think with Satane, there's kind of a. There's a couple of points to make, not necessarily specifically about him, but about taking corners early. Some of it, um, I, I think if you look at the sort of um the historic data, and this is something I've written about in the past, and I'll, I'll try and remember to, to post about on Twitter. Um, but yeah. the data suggests that like it's worth taking really good corners high, but if you start taking that second and third tier corner, like you, you start the 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 marginal gains between what you can take on day two and what you can take late in the first round unless you think someone's like clearly fallen to you um can be can be fairly minimal so like the the elite corners are worth taking top 10 like quite often like the 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 top five top 10 corners work out quite well but those sort of pick 15 type corners have quite a poor track record um generally because when you start picking players about around then that starts becoming more like trait-based evaluation rather than like players who are the guy. Um, I also think there's a, a point to note about how, what the Panthers are trying to build defensively. Like, I think it, it's, while it's still a bit in flux, I think the Panthers are more of a, going to be more of a zone defense. I think that's where the vision for this defense is. Um, and not only does that inform what type of corners you want to take, it does somewhat decrease the value on corners more generally. I think, you know, when you when you look at the decision to 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 not re-sign James Bradbury, um, some of that I think is actually to do with age, and it's just more about where he fits age-wise and what the Panthers are building. Um, but but I think also part of it is that if you are looking to build like that kind of like zone-based defense, you need corners with ball skills. And while James Bradbury is a very good corner, like I'm, I'm not, I, I you know, he is a player that I think would benefit most teams where he has never excelled in creating plays on the ball in the back end. Like he he has fairly consistently done a good job in man coverage against bigger receivers, um, but has has always left plays on the field in zone coverage. Like his but you know, he he, he is no he is known to drop a few interceptions here and there, shall we say? Um, and so I think if you're if you're gonna take a corner high in the first, it either has to be because you're gonna transition to more of a man coverage type defense or they have to be someone who can be a really productive ball player on the back end. And I think with certain, you do have that, like you, he is, he has got very good ball skills. He's very good in the air. He can contests at the catch point really well. He can play man coverage against bigger corners. Like he's, he's very long. He's got pretty good speed. Like he does. He absolutely fits what the Panthers seem to want in a corner, whether, whether he's the player they end up taking there and whether he's the player that you have top of your board, I think is a, is a whole different matter. But like, I, I, I think he is, about as close to what the Panthers would ideally want in a corner as you can get. Like, I think he is much more of that, like, Richard Sherman type corner in, in what is likely to be still quite a cover three type defense in Carolina compared to, say, a Darrell Revis or a, you know, a, a, a Lattimore I, in, in New Orleans. He, he's, he, is, he's, he projects more to be that Richard Sherman type corner, which obviously it also fits in with what Scott Fitter has looked for in that past. That kind of, you know, you want long instinctive corners with ball skills and, and you know that was what the Panthers talked about one thing last year and is kind of what they got. Um, you know, like Stan Tony, you know, Stan Thomas Oliver is a bit of a project, but he is also a tall long corner with ball skills. Um and that's yeah, clearly he, where like, they're going. You no, know, Rasim yeah.
1: Douglas you know, through um, I guess the waiver wire, you know, they picked up him, you know, another six two guy, long corner that's why I'm intrigued by certain because I know that he, you know, he has those traits. And I think when they do want to play man, because they did attempt to play man some last year, you know, you have, you have to have a guy who can flip the switch and say, okay, now I'm playing man coverage. Mm-hmm. When I think about the zone based defense, the best quarterback I've seen in the last decade has been Richard Sherman. Mm-hmm. and So I want a guy like that. I want a guy who can take away a third of the field or half of the field a guy who quarterbacks don't want to challenge Mm -hmm. and the only guy i saw in college football that college quarterbacks didn't want to challenge was certain yeah so i don't know you know we have the luxury to to draft corner at eight considering you know one of the top quarterbacks or or left tackles could be there but I would be happy personally if they did that because I believe in building strong defenses. And, and, you know, some people don't know this, but I think there was a real significant interest in drafting Henderson from Florida last year. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it it lets me know that Matt rule if that was his thinking um, is, is, is really big on having that type of guy. And, And I think Sertain is that type of guy this year. So if he's there, I think there will be some discussion about it. But I think the thing that would prevent them from going that route is if Scott Federer and Matt Rule see somebody else who can potentially, you know, do the same thing in a zone defense um, that they can have on day two or you know a day three. I'm thinking more day two than day three, but there are a couple um, prospects out there at the corner position that we will talk about eventually when we get to yeah. where we we're discussing the corners. But this week we're discussing running backs, Mm -hmm. the running back position. And before I get into the position itself, I do want the listeners to know that at the end of this podcast session, we're going to have an interview with draft prospect, Caleb Huntley. And so make sure that you stay on um, to listen what Caleb Huntley has to say. Vincent is talking to Caleb, and I think you'll like that discussion, that conversation. So make sure you stay on for that. But but we're going to talk about the running back position now. Yeah. And I'm kind of excited about having this discussion because, because I love defense. I also love strong running games. Mm -hmm. I love having a a good rushing attack, you know, that can control the clock Mm -hmm. that can, you know, milk away a victory. And, and last year we, we had a good running game, but our primary runner wasn't there, yeah? Christian McCaffrey, our all-world, do-it-all running back, who I was very much looking forward to seeing in the Joe Brady system, only was able to play three of the sixteen games in twenty twenty, and we very much look forward to him coming back, you know, to his two thousand nineteen form um, because he is that special, and I do believe that the the Panthers were hurt by him being. Unavailable, you know, for those thirteen games, and I think the the red zone offense struggled. I think the quarterback position and Teddy, I think he struggled because of you know they couldn't capitalize in the red zone um, because the the primary guy was out, and Mike Davis, you know, was a good was a a good substitute, a good backup who stepped up, and he had a, a thousand yard all purpose season, um, was great you know, out of the backfield, you know, considering that he stepped up into a tough position, um, was a tough runner. I think he was tops in the league and, and creating uh, missed tackles. You know, so it was a lot of the things that Mike Davis did well. But the interesting thing with Mike Davis is he's a free agent. And, yeah. and we have to talk about, you know, what the running back room looks like, you know, even with Christian McCaffrey coming back, you know, what the running back, room looks like in Carolina now that Mike Davis is potentially going to be on another team next year. And then also, um, Alex Armour is potentially out of here too. He's a free agent as well. So, um, so we're going to focus on the running back position this week. Um, who are your top prospects in the, in the NFL draft this year, Vincent, at the running back position?
0: Yeah, I mean, I just, just quickly to sort of I mentioned Mike Davis and Alexander and how how, how those situations can play out a little bit. Um, I think with Mike Davis, it seems fairly clear that the Panthers would like him to come back in an ideal situation. I, I think that's going to be one of those things where it's more about whether what opportunities he gets elsewhere. Um, I, I you know you, one, I don't think you can ever blame a player for taking more money, given how short their careers are, particularly at running back. Um, but also, if, if he gets a chance to, to not actually start, but to get a more significant uh, role somewhere else, I, I, I you know, you, can't, you can't blame a player for taking that. So I I, I think he, he he's someone who they'd like to bring back, but it's a bit hard to know whether that will play out that way. I think with Armour, um, I don't think he's been bad in his time in Carolina. Obviously, he was drafted as like a... He played like defensive end and, and tight end at West Georgia, and it was kind of more of a project. And while he's become like a decent player, he's never really... Made a huge impact offensively. Like he's played quite well on special teams, but he he's he's never you know shown he can be a significant part of the game um, as either a receiver or a rusher. And as a blocker, he's still somewhat inconsistent. So there's 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 you know he's definitely someone who they could look to improve um, upon. Um, So I think I think there is potentially a a need there in terms of my top guys. Sorry to answer the actual question. I, I think for me. ETN is is the top guy. I like. It. I think that's a fairly you know widespread belief around the NFL, or at least that 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 he is is certainly in that conversation. I mean, I think there are things he could be better at. I think some there are some questions about like whether his vision is in that very like upper tiers. Like he he didn't make isn't that he made bad decisions in terms of where to go with the ball, um, but he. He, he didn't really show the ability to like to generate his own leverage by manipulating blocks. And that that isn't that is an upper tier trait that not all running backs show. Um, but but there there, there are things he could he could he, it's not necessarily improve upon, but but show he can do that he hasn't so far. Um, but he's he's a really, really impressive runner. He's just he's just a very smooth but also explosive athlete. Uh, he catches the ball really well out the backfield. He he isn't the route runner that guys like McCaffrey are, but he at least has flashes the potential to be like a contribution player as a receiver rather than just a check down guy. Um and although he he isn't sort of like a line him up, knock him down type runner, he he breaks a lot of arm tackles. He's got really, really good contact balance. You know, he he he, he has big play potential with, with with deep speed and with the explosion. Like he he is he is for me he's a player who can make a significant impact on offense rather than just being a contributor. And I you know I I, I don't think he's I don't think I'd take him in the first round, but I think he is very much in a like an early day two type type running back prospect. Um,
1: Let me ask you something about ETN before we move on from him. Mm-hmm. I watch a lot of Clemson football, mm-hmm. and I'm a, I'm a big Travis ETN fan. I believe that he should have left for the draft last year. Yeah. Do you believe that he benefited any from staying in college in the extra year?
0: It's it's really hard to know. I mean, I it, it's a bit. I find it very hard to criticize any player for returning or leaving college because you never know what's going on in their life, and it, it's it's their decision. Like it really, you know, it isn't. It doesn't impact me. Like it, it feels very unfair for me to kind of critique a player for what they do in that regard. Yeah. That being said, I, I'm I'm not sure he gets. He, I'm not sure he he gets taken. Significantly higher this year than he would last year. I don't know. I think he, he doesn't hurt his value at all. You know, like Rodney Smith, who obviously, you know, Panthers fans know because he, he played for us late in the season and has been quite good. But you know, he he is a guy who got really damaged by going back to school. Like he was probably a mid-round pick who went back, got hurt, took a medical red shirt, and then had to do it, basically took two years out by going back. Um, yes. so like he's a guy who, who who really did lose out and was very unlucky. But I, I think ETN it hasn't really changed very much for me. Like, I, I don't think he, he's radically changed who he is as a player in the last year. So I, I I, think he's kind of, his stock for me, maybe has got a little bit higher, but he was going to be one of the top running backs either way.
1: And that's what I'm thinking. You know, when, when you were describing ETN, all I could think about was last season. And honestly, mm-hmm. I feel like I saw more flash plays from him in 2019 than I saw in 2020. And when you projected that he, he may go day two, you know, my whole thought process, you know, with trying to justify why he would go back was so that he could up his stock and potentially be a day one guy. Last year, I believe um, Ceh from Kansas City, you know, came out of LSU. I think he was the only first round draft pick at the running back position last year. Now, I believe that yeah. was like pick thirty two.
2: Yeah, well, it was he pick got picked
1: 32. at the end of the first round, um, and so if Etn doesn't at least get picked in day one, then to me. I mean, besides whatever you know, he he accomplished for himself personally by returning to Clemson. You know, I just felt like he should have come out next year, I mean, come out last year instead of waiting until this year. Um, and I know they they came up short, you know, with the national championship last
0: year. So yeah, maybe I, 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 think, uh, I, I, I think I I think I don't know, but my guess would be that he wanted to win another title. Like I I. Yeah. yeah. I like, I, you know, I can, I can definitely understand that. Like, you know, you don't, you don't get, you know, you don't get to do that again. Like you can go to the NFL, but you can't come back to college after you've, after you've done it. So, you know, you, yeah. like, you, you don't know what's going on with, but yeah, no, I don't think he's radically changed his stock by going back for year. And
1: that's, and that's where I was getting at. but you know, but he did give it another shot that came up short again. Uh, I believe that he's the same prospect in terms of the NFL this year as he was last year. So I don't think he improved himself in any way as a prospect but you know that could be beneficial to some team that you know say if you pick at the top of the the first round, then you can come back and get a guy who's special at the beginning of the second round too. Yeah, and you know and, and upgrade your team. Unfortunately, I don't think it would be the Carolina Panthers uh, because of where we stand at the running back position. Um, you know, you know, with having Chris McCaffrey, but I think for some team they're going to get a a really good player on day two, early on day two in Travis ETN. So that was your number one guy. You know, let's talk about your other top prospects.
0: Yeah. So the the other like two guys who I think at least in the conversation to be, to be the top guy, like for me, they are a little bit behind, but at least I can see the conversation around them. Um, For me is is Javante Williams from North Carolina and Najee Harris from Alabama. Mm -hmm. For me, I think, Williams is slightly better I think he's a slightly more explosive athlete and I also think he he has a, a greater potential as a route runner um don't be yeah. wrong like Najee Harris can jump over people and that's really yeah. like impressive like maybe explosive is the wrong word but but um, and, and I, think, you
1: said that I just saw Najee Harris like jumping clearly over a over. guy I'm a Notre Dame I'm a true Notre Dame fan like I'm a domer and that play happened against us in the playoffs so I'm like you said like Javante Williams is, you know, a better athlete. I'm like, good, maybe, great
0: maybe, 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 not. Like, I, I think something about athleticism shows up in different ways. I think Williams is has is is quicker. Not actually that he's he's long speed faster, but I think he he gets up to speed faster. He is... Yeah. Don't different. He's he is slightly lighter as well, and that's possibly part of it. And he's not like like worlds apart, but I think the. I, I I think Najee Harris was sometimes a little slow to hit the line, not like awfully slow, and it's also one of those things where it's hard to know where. Like he had the luxury of playing behind Alabama's O line, um, yes. and, and that allows you to take that little bit half a second to find your gap because 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 yes. you don't have to rush to get past the first line of defenders. Whereas I think Williams, at least, showed a greater haste in working through his gaps, and 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 was a little bit faster to to hit the line and you know ultimately at the NFL level like that is really make that does make a huge difference like um I mean like even if you talk like Leonard Fournette or someone like that again he was a guy who could just you know he played behind a very good O-line but also was a little bit hesitant to hit his gaps didn't always really hit the line at speed it, you know ha- absolutely had that speed but but was a little bit slow to hit the line at times and I think that really showed up in the NFL because the gaps just aren't there as long like you 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 can't afford, you know. You, you can be Levy on Bell and playing behind the line, but if you're, if if that isn't your game, I, I think both Najee Harris and Javante Williams, they're, they're not like Le'Veon Bell star running backs, yeah. and so the, that ability to, to get to that line with that little bit more haze can make a difference. Um, but but really, for me, it's what they can do as receivers. I don't I, want. I think Najee Harris is is a good receiver. I just think he he maybe doesn't have the ceiling as a route runner that Williams offers. Um, uh, again, there's not a huge difference between them for me. Like if someone said Najee Harris is better than Javante Williams, I you know I, I'm it's not off, like a hill I'm willing to die on or anything. But I think I would be slightly more enthusiastic about Williams than I would about Harris. But I think they're they're both day three prospects. Sorry, no, sorry, both both day two prospects for me. Um, but I don't think they're guys who are going to. It's always hard to know, but I don't think they're guys who are going to be the centerpieces of offenses. Like I, I, I don't think you're the. I don't think they're Derek Henry. I don't think they're Christian McCaffrey, or Saquon Barkley, or Nick Chubb. Or, or...
1: the interesting thing about you know both Williams and Harris is that more so Harris than Williams, Harris did run behind a, a very talented offensive line. You know, they rarely he rarely dealt with defenders in the backfield,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so you know he was always you know able to 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 enforce his will on on defenses and you know go and hit the second level at full speed a lot of times. And even when he broke outside, you know, he was running free. You know, every time I saw him and then, you know, he was the punisher or you know, just looking freakish in the open field. Um Williams, he actually played with a a very good backfield mate, I believe it's Carter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um and so, you know, that's the interesting thing about him. You know, he people don't talk about North Carolina's offense, you know, and how talented they were, you know, yeah. he had a lot of talent around him too. And, and so, but, you know, but he he did look special, you know, when, you know, when he was in the game, he looked special. Carter did too. So, you know, Williams and Carter, um, who we, you know, who we didn't mention as a top prospect, you know, they both have day two potential really.
0: Yeah. I think for me, so Carter's my number five running back. Um,
1: oh yes, yeah. Yes. So that's crazy.
0: Yeah. Two of the top five on one team. Yeah. I think Yeah, the other example I can think of was Alabama a couple of years ago where you had um, Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs, who were for me at least were the two top running backs in that draft. And they were both playing for Alabama. Did
1: you you have Damian Harris that
0: high? Yeah. I had had Harris slightly above Jacobs. Damian Harris's vision is just bonkers. Like, even if you look, like, if you look at his statistical production in for the Patriots, like he's not, he hasn't had that many touches because they rotate a lot. But but Damian Harris's yards per carry is just bonkers. So no, for, I, I
1: saw them play a lot. You know, obviously, you know, a lot of Patriots game was on. It was on TV. And then, you know, Cam Newton was playing, so tuning in a lot to the Patriots games. And I was watching, you know, that guy run. I'm like, oh my god, like he's a monster.
0: He averaged five yeah. yards a carry this year. Yeah, I, I he was,
1: was a monster. Yeah. But I could figure out, like, are you running this hard, you know, because of the, you know, the read option, you know, type style that they were running with Cam, and you know, and he just had wide open running lanes. But you know, but but when he got to the second level, I mean, he's a punisher. He, he yeah, finished-
0: he, he's, he's it's one of the things where like he's he's got more quickness and speed than than you'd think looking at him. Like he he's. And don't get on the read option stuff absolutely helps running backs. Like would he average five yards a carry running behind some terrible offensive line? Probably not. But yeah. he, his, I mean, he, he is like along with Nick Chubb, like those guys, when you talk about like, like vision and the ability to read and manipulate blockers, like Chubb and Harris had just, were both guys who, who their ability to, to manipulate rushing lanes was just outstanding. And, um, I, this is a complete tangent and neither of them are going to be in the, the 2021 draft, but, but yeah, no, Dam, Damian, Harris was, was a really, really good running back prospect. Well, um, I have
1: to put more respect on your, on your drafting and, you know, and scouting abilities. If you, if you had him at the top of your,
0: yeah, your <laughs> he was my top running back that year. Because yeah. A lot of people
1: didn't, a lot of people didn't see him coming. And so no. the fact that it was, is pretty impressive. So I, I got to give you your props for that. But, no, um, but
0: um, they talking about like Michael Car- Carter quickly. Like, so Carter is actually not that dissimilar to say Harris stylistically. Um I think where what lets Carter down is his lateral agility at times. That's why I don't have him higher. Like I I I think he's you can see on tape that his eyes can see the rushing lane, his legs just can't always get him there. Like he he sees it, he sees it. Um, um, like sometimes he does, never wrong. He's you know, he's my number five running back, he's a good running back. But I think he he sometimes can't explode laterally. Well, not he explode, but he can't laterally move to, to 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 hit the gap he can see emerging. Um, whereas I think that's like, he's a good running back who who has some limitations and I think would, although although his vision is good enough to work in a more lateral rushing scheme, I'm not sure his lateral agility is quite good enough. And I think he would benefit massively from, from a scheme that asks him to sort of to hit the, to hit the, the line with some speed um, a, and to kind of maybe bounce gaps rather than actually trying to look to work laterally into them. Um, I can see what
1: you're saying. I mean, maybe he doesn't have, like, what I, I see a lot of these young running backs, um, have nowadays and you know for the last couple of years is like they have like a superior jump cut yeah and and I don't know if Carter you know has that or not you know it, I thought about that when you said that sometimes he can see you know the Russian lane and but he doesn't always get there you know especially if it's you know like you know to the left or to the right and and you have to make that that really strong cut like I see Jacobs do that a lot um, I see yeah. the really good backs do that a lot. Jones out of um, Green Bay, yeah. He has that. Christian McCaffrey, guy that's on our team, uh, has a good jump cut. Um, yeah. He doesn't he doesn't showcase it a lot, but I've seen him do it. So you know, so when you look at, I mean, thinking about these prospects and 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 their strengths, how do you see our running our running game? I mean, what what kind of what kind of system is that i mean for the for the listeners and for myself I, I mean trying to get a feel for like what is our true running scheme i know we came from more of a power scheme but in the joe brady offense what is the run game what's the blocking scheme for the for the run game
0: i mean it, it's it's a little bit hard to tell if only because i think the rushing game plan is a little bit of a a, a mismatch of, of different sort of philosophies like i think pat Maher, the offensive line coach has some input i think um the running backs coach whose name I'm blanking on. Um, I think he, he who like he was the OC at Baylor with Matt Rule. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so I've, I'm blanking on his name, but, but I think he has a, a reasonable input as well. And I think Joe Brady has some stuff from LSU. Um, I think they definitely move more towards the finesse. Uh, this year they they, they do some power stuff, but like if, even if you just look at the guys they brought in, guys like Hokun have never been like that mauler move you off the ball type guy, and and you know. Greg Little isn't that either as a, as a you know, potential developmental tackle. Like Matt Paradis is not a move off the ball type guy, but there it's more about technique and leverage and, and creating creating space that way. Um, I, I think that like, if you look at the Baylor offense, that's more where some of like the read option type stuff comes in, and we don't know what's happening at quarterback. But if you have a more mobile quarterback, I'd expect maybe some of that to be incorporated in more. Um, but there's also like there are little bits that that, that Joe Brady brought from LSU that we saw in that we saw you know, I can not remember the the televised practice they did right before the season uh, at VOA mm-hmm. that, that we didn't really see in the season that much but but effectively uh, they, they, they use the tight end a lot to create leverage blocks so you'd say have the offensive line would just block like the the front five and then you could leverage the tight end into a gap and say you you could you know the tight end doesn't start at the line but say starts behind the line and can then effectively um, pull, but could obviously he can pull into any different gap. And so you right. can create quite a lot of things that, that look very similar, but are subtly very different and you can tune where the, where the tight end goes and that kind of stuff. So maybe that's something we see more this year, but I I, I don't think it's going to be like a, a line them up, push them back, smaller type offensive line. Like it, it, if it is, they're going to have to significantly changed the, the offensive line they have because they they that has not been from a personal perspective what they what they've built recently it's been more of a more of a gap based um more more about uh yeah more more of a gap based and and, and leverage based blocking scheme than just like straight power
1: you know and it's it's interesting to me because I watch a lot of football you know all season long and like the top russian teams all seem to have like a common core, you know, to to their to their run game, and it's going more towards this what I call, you know, the old um, Shanahan system, Mike Shanahan. So you know, Daddy Shanahan versus Kyle, and you know, where it's like this one cut system. Mm-hmm. You see that used. You know, obviously, it's still being used in San Francisco uh, with Kyle. Is is used by McVay, I believe. You know, and with the Rams. Um, and and both teams have really good you know running games. You saw it in Minnesota with Cook, you know that was Kubiak, um, mm-hmm. and the influence he has on that, and then Kubiak comes from that from that tree. Um, you also saw it in Cleveland this year. It yeah. Changed the way that they ran the, the football, but they also have a really good offensive line.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's the thing is if if, you, if you're going to run that kind of stuff, you've got to have technically good blockers. There doesn't necessarily need to be guys who 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 can move people off the ball as such, but you. You need really technically sound offensive linesmen. You you can't just run that with any with any offensive line and expect it to go well, um, right. because particularly like the, the, the outside zone type stuff that all those teams do run a fair amount of. You you need blockers who can sustain those blocks laterally. Um and, and some of that is having foot speed and balance and that kind of stuff. But you need guys who can consistently locate their hands and and can and can leverage blocks and and it, it's. I think the thing with that approach is it is somewhat. Um, not high risk, high reward, but it, it generates a lot of big plays and it relies on generating explosive plays in the run game. Right. There are obviously different approaches you can take. You can take more of a ball control type approach where you're focusing less on generating explosive plays and more on just getting five, six yards every time and, and, and doing it that way. I, I think it really depends what you want to do and what else you want to, to build off of it. I think those, those outside zone type schemes are very suited to sort of hard play action. I think we've seen that a lot with the Rams and, and with the, the 49ers having, having huge success. And it is, you know, if you look at the, you know those teams sensibly, Cleveland, um, the Rams, and the 49ers have all been, at least when sort of reasonably healthy, very successful teams in the last couple of years, despite having really subpar quarterbacks. Um, and it can make a, a big difference there, but it also. Yeah it does have some limitations in that you are, you do need your offensive line to be good. uh, And, and you also need uh, uh, a running back who can really exploit that. Um, You know, you you need a running back who can, when you get a chance to hit a home run, hits a home run. Like you you need, you need running backs with speed who can, who can, who can turn those 10 yard plays into 40 yard plays kind of thing. Um, And that's what
1: you see. That's what you see from those offenses. That's why, you know, I mentioned Dalvin cook Nick Chubb, you know, home run hitters. Um, Cam Acres in with the Rams, and then the 49ers had like three guys who could hit home runs from the backfield. And I see, honestly, I see Christian McCaffrey at least where they showed showed us in twenty nineteen was that he could yeah. be a home run hitter too. Yeah, and, and I always wonder how he would look in that, you know, that outside outside zone, you know, one cut type system. I, I
0: mean, the Panthers, the, really good. the Panthers do run a fair amount of that. Like the Panthers do, yeah. like run quite a lot of outside zone. I think the if I'm honest, I think that this past year they maybe ran a bit too much. Like it was, it, it was clear the offensive line couldn't do it at times, and like yeah. it was, it was like this, this, you know, this isn't working. You're, te- you're 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 going for a home run, but you're just you're back. The Panthers were very bad at backing themselves into long, like second and third and longs, and doing quite poorly in them. So like, it wasn't just that they they got themselves into those situations; they were very poor at dealing with them once they did. So that they probably would have been best advised not to put themselves in those situations. Um, and you know, but, and, it,
1: and it, it created a bad situation. I remember a few of those plays, you know, where they attempted to run those outside outside zone runs and they'll get stuff for, you know, for negative two or negative three and now it's second and 13. Yeah. And but, unfortunately, we didn't have the type of offense that could climb out of those negative situations.
0: The, the other thing is, is, I mean, like I wrote a piece on this sort of think like, after the Vikings game and like the Panthers won... Uh, Although they do quite well on first down overall, the percentage of plays that don't gain any yardage or gain less than two yards um, was was very high. Like they they had quite a lot of of, of, of plays that sort have got automatic first downs, but they were quite bad at getting themselves in second and long. And then when they got in second and long, one, they ran the ball far too much from second and long, uh, which is like, I think the analytics suggest a, a really bad thing to do. Um, but 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 also once they once they got in those situations, they did a, a really poor job of, of getting them getting getting themselves out of it um, effectively. So uh, so you know it, it's yeah it, it's it, it it's, it's
2: it's
0: these outside runs can be a, a really useful part of an offense, but you you've got to have the offensive line to do it. And and, and I think the Panthers at least last year didn't really.
1: And that's and that's an interesting point, and you know it's something that we probably shouldn't, you know, stay on too long, you know. But the interesting part about this offseason season is that four of our five offensive linemen are free agents. Yeah. And so this is a good time to to shift gears on what your offensive line talent is and what the what the philosophy can be because you have a you have like four guys potentially who can come in and be new, you know, to the yeah. offensive line. I do think they'll bring some guys back. Uh, from the from the current line, you know, to, you know, like obviously Taylor Moten is is a guy that a lot of fans want back, and you know, hopefully the team, you know, they prioritize. But you know, who knows? They may not they may not want to pay him as much as he could demand from elsewhere. And so, you know, we could very well have four new offensive linemen. And honestly, if you look at Matt Paradis's situation at center, you know, there's an opportunity for them to get off of his contract too, if they want to. But
0: yeah, I, I think I I, keep him. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, this, is this we need to get back to running backs at some point, but, yeah. but no, I, I, I think Matt Paradis was used very, very poorly in 2019. Um, I think he played much better in 2020 in part because they didn't ask him to be Superman. Um, right. Like he, you know, I mean, again, there's a, I wrote a piece about it at the time, but, but like he, he, how they were using him in 2019 was they were basically asking him to cover up other players' deficiencies. Um, and that's not really fair on him. Like, you know, he's, he's, he is never going to look like an effective player if you're asking him. You know, There like, were plays where they would they would kick him out to the edge on pass protection and he would be playing tackle in pass protection against edge rushers. And they would then shift the tackle inside to guard and the guard to center. So he would he would effectively pull to the edge on in pass protection. And like and as, as, as a gimmick that you do once or twice off play action it's fine. But it was like they were doing it enough that you're like you're, you're clearly trying to. You think he's your best offensive linesman and you're trying to use him to cover up other players' deficiencies. And that's not right. that that that's not good.
1: And uh, especially what, in the, in the, you know, and I imagine they were doing that to the left side.
0: They were doing it to both sides, to be honest. Like they were doing yeah. it, to, they were doing it to Moten as well. Um, not that, with Moten, it was more matchup based. Um, that so it wasn't, it, it wasn't because they didn't think Moten was was able to do it. It was just they were they. I'm not totally sure why they were doing it completely, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. And there are also things like in in the run game, they were asking him to solo onto nose tackles, like reach block onto nose tackles um, with some consistency, which again, like. Yeah. That's not his game, um, but yeah, you know. So I, I think he 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 comes back, and if only because I think you know it would be a very big. And, and is they just going to completely tear it apart and rebuild the offensive line? I think he played well enough to justify his contract. Um,
1: well, and, and and I will say this before we move on. I know that in when Joe Brady was at LSU, one of the key players on his offense was his center. Yeah, because he sure. depended on his center a lot, and I feel like, you know, his relationship is directly with the quarterback, you know, you know being an offensive coordinator, calling plays, you know, he's talking to the to the quarterback. But I, I do remember him mentioning, you know, that the communication between he and Joe Burrow also was relied upon what the center saw yeah. and what the center could do. And so maybe he was trying to use um, Matt Paradis in the same way. You know, we don't know that. They don't talk about it, but I just – it would be hard to think that he relied on the center so much at the college level, but didn't do it at all at the NFL level. But we'll we'll talk about that, too, when we get to the offensive line um, prospects and, you know, and, and focus on that position group. But I want to you know, get back to the running backs. Uh, we talked about the top prospects and ETN Williams and Harris. But as with every draft, there's always going to be the overhyped. So who are your overhyped running backs in this year's draft?
0: So I, I don't think there's anyone who I think is just completely overhyped. Like that there, there's there's nobody who is kind of getting like day one, day two buzz who I think is like undraftable or anything. Uh, I do think there's a few guys who I think maybe I'm not as high on as others. Um I think Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis. Again, okay. I think is, is for me as a top 10 running back. I just I don't think he's like a, a borderline second round prospect. Um I okay. I I I I think he's probably um Benefiting a little bit due to the success that his, his predecessor is currently having in Washington, um, sure. and I think stylistically he's a, a similar player, so I can kind of see why people make the association. But uh, and to be fair, you know maybe I'm just undervaluing that style of player. But but uh, I I don't think he's a a foundation piece for an offense, and I think he's he's at least being um projected as potentially being that and, and i i don't quite see it um similarly trey sermon who again you know, had some really big games down the seat the stretch for ohio state and uh i can see why that why he kind of has, has, has gone up draft boards but uh again i am not sure he does enough to really add the value that um i think he he's currently being projected as like i think he's that they're, they're both you know i they're both i've got them at the same level and that they're, they're both like decent running backs who should definitely be drafted probably quite high on day three, but, uh, as I don't, I don't see the, the, the day two hype for them, uh, particularly. And, and finally oh. Patterson, the, uh, the Buffalo running back, um, who again is kind of getting some some like day two, maybe day three, um, love. And, and for me, isn't, you know, again, isn't, isn't bad, but, um, but I, I think people are projecting him quite a lot, um, I, I think he he he's more of like that scat back type guy. Um, and I, I I think to do that you have to be like a legitimately good receiving guy. And I'm not I think I have some some concerns about his ability to catch the ball. I think there are a little bit too many, at least from what I've seen, there are too many drops for me to be super confident in him being like a, a plus receiver. And his route running whilst not bad, I I I don't think he really separates himself in the receiving game enough to make up for the fact that he's probably uh, I don't think he's going to be a, a foundational piece in a running game. So again, like not, not an awful player, but not someone who I think should be, should be getting to like day two consideration.
1: Okay. You know, so from that group of players who could be a little overhyped, I wouldn't be upset if, if game slipped to to day three. And, you know, we sitting there in the fourth round or the fifth round and we decide to take a look at him only because of, what he could potentially give you in the passing game yeah
0: um, I, as a receiver I, I think the only thing with that is the panthers are not short of running backs who can who can run routes i mean like you know i think that's the thing it's like the, the panthers weirdly are in this position where they've got like they've got three running backs who are good receivers i mean like you know mccaffrey is obviously like possibly the best receiving running back in the history of the nfl um but 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 bonafon is a legitimately yeah. good route runner as well like you know he's a converted receiver um you know he 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 he's a, a you know different stylistically but like he is a He's a good. He's a, a a good receiver for a running back, even at the NFL level. And Rodney right. Smith can kind of hold his own in that regard as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, I I don't think the Panthers have that need. I, I can I can see him having that value for a team that needs that. I I just I don't think that's the Panthers. Like he's he's a player who who is is much more valuable for other teams than he is for the Panthers.
1: Well, let me ask you a question then. You know, since you said it that way, and that's right. You know, I have to remind myself that. Reggie Bunche is you know we still have him on the contract you know for 2021, Rodney Smith as well, um, and and you know just shout out to Rodney Smith, I felt like he played really well yeah when he got an opportunity in in 2020 he really surprised me I had you know I heard a lot of hype about him um, coming from Minnesota, and you know the fact that we was able to get him as an undrafted free agent I think we lost him at some point and brought him back.
0: Yeah, he Go was ahead. one of the guys that got cut when they yeah. when they had to move the roster from I think it was ninety to eighty because of COVID. He was one of the guys right. that lost out then. Yeah,
1: yeah. But we brought him back, and you know, you know, props to him for being ready for the opportunity. And you know, he ran hard. I thought he ran really hard when he got his opportunities. Yep. To me, you know, that gave me a little solace in thinking, but well, maybe he's a potential short down guy. Uh, you know, a tough yardage type guy. And he's versatile enough to, like you said, catch the ball out of the backfield when needed. I have to remind myself that he's potentially going to be on the roster in 2021. You know, he's he's gonna be competing at least. And then you have um Reggie Bonify, who he said is, is quite versatile. I'm always thinking about, I think, you know, 2020 gave me a little PTSD with the running back position because like we never thought that Christian McCaffrey that was actually going to get hurt you know obviously he had 400 touches in 2019 so you know the curse was there and you're thinking like okay um usually people get hurt but you don't wish that on anybody you don't want to see that but then when he got hurt it was like oh my god what are we going to do at running back and honestly nobody expected mike davis to have the season he had in terms of production so we had mike davis last year potentially we'll have him again next year you know if they decide to keep him but if we don't, you know, I think I'm more thinking of like who could come in and be the guy. And Rodney Smith showed a lot, but I don't know if he can. Reggie Bunniferon has showed a lot in yeah. the past, years, you know, but I don't know if he can. And this is all just worried about if Christian McCaffrey misses time again. I don't anticipate that he will uh, because he doesn't have a long history of you know, chronic injury, you know, to any particular part of his body, anything. So I'm hoping that he has a full season, hope that we get 16 games out of him. But it's just like that, just in case, you know, if Mike Davis is gone, like who's going to be the guy to be the guy in case Christian can't go? Yeah, I, so- I, I, I,
0: I don't think that if, if Christian went down, I think that even last year when he did go down, I don't think the expectation is that someone steps up and becomes the guy. So I think they were unlucky last year in that when Christian went down, Reggie Bonifon went down almost immediately afterwards. Because right. I think, you know, most teams don't have like two feature running backs and just have one just in case. It, yeah. It's more, what you want is someone who can come in and contribute um, alongside Bonifant as like that rotation guy. And, you know, maybe alongside Rodney Smith as well, if he, if he stays in the carry for running backs. Um, but I think if McCaffrey goes down, then you're looking at more of like a, a genuine rotation between two guys. And I think if, if Bonifon had been healthy, we'd probably have seen more of that last year. It would have been more of the Mike Davis and Bonafon show, where they have two very different skill sets and they complement each other. So I think yeah. probably more what you're looking at is is someone who comes in with that complementary skill set can be that rotation piece and play you know a, a, a role regardless of what happens with McCaffrey. And then if McCaffrey would go down, would then be the rotate will rotate. With Bonifon probably as, as as sort of stylistic compliments, rather than just being the guy who then takes over McCaffrey's role.
1: And, and I can agree with that. I, you know, Reggie Bonifon, I thought he showed well when he played in 2019, and then the one game I believe he played in 2020, he was playing well that game. And I was really yeah. disappointed to find out that he that he was injured. You know, that he got injured that game, and we didn't see him anymore for the rest of the season. So it, you know, I have to remind myself that we do have guys coming back that we didn't get to see a lot of in 2020. And so Reggie Bunderfan, you know, he could get an opportunity to be featured again as a, as a complimentary piece to Kristen McCaffrey. And you know, hopefully he's ready, you know, for that opportunity. and Hopefully both guys are healthy. But since you brought him back up, you know, as being back in the fold and, you know, Rodney Smith being there, then we know the Carolina Panthers mm-hmm. in all likelihood won't draft a a running back on day one or day two, so we're looking more at day three. Yeah. So let's talk about the guys that you have being available as a potential fit on day three in the in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round.
0: So I think one guy who's worth mentioning, not necessarily in this conversation specifically, but but is is Puka Williams. Not because I think he he fits in terms of complementing you know uh, McCaffrey or or, or Bonifan, but more actually if you if they if they look to replace Curtis Samuel. Um, I think Puka Williams is a running back. I think that's probably where he, he is most naturally fit in, in an offense. But I think he, he, he also can play that receiver. I think depending on, 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 on what the Panthers look to do, I think if you, have a, a, if you trust um, Joe Brady to be creative, I think Puka Williams is somebody who can come in and give you five carries and, and, and five targets and, and can play that kind of hybrid role. I, I would be a little surprised if the Panthers go after him partly for for off the field concerns, which I, I again I, I don't particularly feel qualified to, to really address. Um yeah. but 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 also j- j- just because of the he is probably better as a running back. He is probably more of the he, he works better as like that Tariq Cohen type complement to more of a conventional power running back. But it would be someone who would potentially would be interesting to see as a as a hybrid receiver running back. So I, I think him aside, I think there are sort of two guys who really uh who really sort of I think maybe fit what the Panthers are doing, and sort of another guy who would at least be be interesting to mention. I think uh, one guy who would be probably the guy who I think makes really the best fit is Caleb Huntley, who again we, we, you know there's an interview with at the end of the podcast, so please stay around for that. Um, I, th- I think the reason why he fits is is partly because of his style. Like he is more of that power running back. I mean, I, you know, I could go into quite a lot of detail about about why well, he's quite an interesting power running back, but he he does offer that kind of quite vertical. Um, downhill rushing style with enough explosiveness to be to offer some big plays like he's not you know he's not just like four yards in a cloud of dust type guy um, he also potentially has the ability to to, to play some fullback as well and I think particularly with like armor um, hitting free agency as we mentioned earlier like he is a guy who who is probably the only guy probably the, the best guy to come in and fill that sort of dual role of a guy who can who can come in and play some running back in short other situations or rotate in as more of a, a stylistic complement to McCaffrey and Bonathon, whilst also being able to line up and be a lead blocker for them on on a few snaps as well. Um, I think for him, the biggest question mark is his receiving game. Uh, he really wasn't tested very much in that way at Ball State for for a variety of reasons that are mostly aren't to do with 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 his actual ability. Um, so so he's a guy who 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 really needs to prove to NFL teams that that's something he can do. Um, in, the, in the pre-draft process, and I think he, he, he talking to him, that's something that he, he is working on doing. Um, but, but, you know, he, he's a very interesting runner. He, he's got really good contact balance. He reads the game well, and he does a very good job of, like, avoiding head-on tackles, and he he, he doesn't necessarily, like, straight-on break a lot of tackles, but he he bounces off a lot of tackles. He consistently adds yards to, to what's blocked for him. He, you know, he, he, invariably where he makes contact with a defender is not where he ends up. He always adds that yard or two through contact. Um, and I think that's that's that would be a good compliment to someone like McCaffrey, who is more elusive and more 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 of that explosive big play guy. Um, I, I think the other guy, who is maybe uh, a bit different, is, is Jaquan Hardy um, from from Tiffin. Um, his tape is really encouraging. There are lots of really nice things. He's very elusive. He's got good lateral agility. He's got really good contact balance. Um, he's a really shifty guy behind the line behind of scrimmage and has enough power to be some, you know, he isn't just a, a scat-back type guy. He, he has some some power to really, you know, t- t- to gain yards through contact. The the caveat with him is that coming from that smaller score, it's really hard to know how how well those things will translate. The, the right. bouncing off tacklers against like a small school school defense is is really not the same thing as doing at the NFL level. And it's, it's
1: way different.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think he's, he's probably more of a UDFA option, not because I think he's bad. Cause I think actually there's, there's enough to his game to be really excited about to think that he could actually be legitimately very good. It's just right. that the the uncertainty is so high for him that, that that he has so many questions to answer that he really can't answer until he gets out in training camp and tries to, to do it against NFL guys. Um, right. He's a guy who would have benefited from going to to sort of you know significant bowl games this offseason. Um, you know he would have you know the the, the Shrine Game or, or you know, the Senior, bowl obviously happened the senior and ball obviously he wasn't invited, but but he would have been a guy who I think would have would have been interesting to see there, if only because it, you know, the big question with him is just level of competition, um, and, and with running backs that skill set is, skill set is so hard to, to 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 transition. You know it's so hard to know how a guy will be able to transition a, a skill set from from such a big jump. Um, The final player I think is is worth mentioning on day three for the Panthers and maybe his UFA is, is Jared Dokes from Cincinnati. He's Mm -hmm. a, a really interesting player that he's, he's not super powerful. He's a very big running back. He's like 230 pounds and he's got a really good like quickness. He, he hits the the line with real speed. Um, Mm -hmm. but his lack of agility isn't amazing. And, and he's very much like a, a a benefit from being like a one gap type guy who just hits a gap and explodes through it. Um, he catches the ball really well, and while his lack agility will kind of limit him as a, as a route runner, like he 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 could cause some some potential matchup things just with his his explosion his like first five steps, um, sure. with, with with really good hands, um, which is obviously important in that regard. I it, he was a guy who's maybe more of an experiment to try and convert to fullback. Um, he he doesn't have that like he, he he isn't sort of an obvious transition there, but uh, as as a bigger running back who who could maybe be more of that chess piece type guy who, you know, if, if you want to run a, a fullback to the flat against the linebacker, he's going to be a really hard guy to match up with there because of his speed. Um, right. Even if he's probably not going to be the guy who, who is, is consistently thumping um, through tackles as, as a, as a ball carrier. So he he's, he's more of a long, like significant project. Um, I think Huntley is probably the, the best option, um, particularly on day three. But yeah, there, there are there are some there are at least some interesting options, and one I don't think it's going to be the Panthers' priority going into the draft. Like it's it's something that as you get towards sort of the sixth and seventh round, teams start to consider, as, as they did with Armor four years ago. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and and so there was another guy that I was thinking of as you were mentioning Dokes and Huntley, uh, Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. What do you think about him in that type of versatile role? Is he more of a raw runner and can't be a fullback? But I know he's a big body running back, and 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 I know he kind of gives you like Eddie Lacy vibes. Do you think he's somebody that would get some interest? Yeah, Baker?
0: yeah, possibly. I, I I don't think he's a bad player. I think for he he's more probably compares better to Dokes in that he. He is not super great working laterally. Like he, he can, he's much better when he's just asked to hit a gap and, and and go through it. Like he, the the plays when he was asked to like read and react behind the line of scrimmage is not. That's not his game at all. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I I think he's a guy who again could, could could definitely. He's got the size to do it. He teams will will. Um, Will certainly have some interest in, in using him that way. I think the other thing is that when he was asked to block, he was not super good technically. Like he, he, you know, I, I think Huntley has some things to work on technically as a blocker. And I think you know, talk again, talking to him, he clearly is, is aware of the things he needs to work on in terms of sort of you know how he uses his hands at times. But I think he's a notably better blocker than than, than Stevenson. Um, and I think the. Yeah, I think there's, there, Stevenson would be more of just like a, a, a real project to convert yeah. to fullback than, than a guy who you can sort of, you know, with Huntley, you can see quite a lot of the traits you want. You, you know, he is an effective pass protector, but he's a for a, for a, for a college prospect, he's a good pass protecting running back. Um, yeah. and, and that sort of gives you a bit more optimism about his, his potential as a blocker, whereas Stevenson, I, I don't think he's a particularly good pass protector right now. Um, right. And so you're more just going on, this guy is quite a good downhill running back, so let's see if we can make him become a fullback rather than actually necessarily seeing the, the rounded skills that you'd want to see to do that.
1: Well, you know, I'm I'm a big guy with, like I said, I love a power running game. I love power backs, and because Christian McCaffrey is so good, and you know, with every other thing in the in the running game, I think he he can he can run with power as well. But mm-hmm. he's a great receiver, probably like you said, one of the greatest wide you no know, greatest receivers. As a running back in the NFL, yeah, and he's, he's very quick. He's he's always been great in space, but I, I think Chris McCaffrey is best used when you have a complementary running back who can get more vertical, um, because he's more of a lateral horizontal type runner. You know, I, I want a guy to be you know more vertical as a complement to him. Because what I want to see the Panthers do more going forward, whether they do this or not, is to have Chris McCaffrey on the field. With a power back in the backfield. Yeah, because if, if those linebackers have to go out there and 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 shadow Christian, you know, as a receiver, then, you know, now you're going to have an honest box, you know, for a power back to exploit. And so I, I personally want to see that. I know I'm not an offense coordinator, but I think I haven't seen, you know, we didn't get to see Mike Davis and Christian McCaffrey do that much this year.
0: No, I, I think that, that, that was one of the really frustrating things. I think that, that, you know, before the season started, they talked a lot about, you know, basically using both two backs at once and doing this kind of, yeah. you know, using the, the, the matchups you can create. And even, like, you know, they probably wouldn't have run a huge amount of triple option stuff, but if you have a more mobile quarterback, that's definitely something you can do with that kind of combination. And the Panthers have done in the past with, with Cam Newton and uh, D'Angelo Williams and Mike Tolbert. Um, I, I, I think the first two weeks of the season, it's hard to make too strong a statement on it because it it really was Joe Brady finding his feet. Like he, he, he clearly was inexperienced as a play caller. And so it's hard to make like, you know, him not being perfect in the first two games, but how he used the running back was really frustrating at times. I think, you know, he, he heavily overused McCaffrey as a rusher competitor as a receiver. Um, You know, I can't remember how many it was, but he barely got thrown the ball at all in the first two games. And yet had like 20 plus carries both games. Yes. Um, and Mike Davis was barely saw the field until McCaffrey went down. And I think, you know, More. Uh, I think this kind of comes back to the conversation with Mike Davis is that I think you can absolutely pay your second running back three or $4 million a year. Like the saints have done it really effectively and other teams have done it really effectively, but you, they've got to be a part of your offense. It can't just be, this is the backup who gets, you know, three touches a game. Like, you know, if you're going to do that, and if you're going to invest in the running back position in a meaningful way beyond just having McCaffrey, it, it, it has to be with a clear plan of how they complement each other and how their skill sets are used in combination, not just like, ah, so it will give Bob a go now because it's Christian's had a go for a little while. You know, It's, it, it,
1: it, it's it, interesting you say that because when you said it earlier, it made me think of Mike Davis actually tweeted in the past week or so a reference to how the Saints used their two running backs.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, with, with Kamara, and I don't know why I can't think of
0: Guys so, it's, it's been melvin ingram and it's been uh murray as well it, it's yeah they, they, they've used multiple different guys in combination with kamara
1: yeah so so they have a power guy and then they have a kamara who's like a versatile um swiss army knife type running back well obviously that's christian mccaffrey in, in our offense. he's the kamara yeah. so if they can get a power guy to complement the kamara type in the same you know type of offense i could see the value in bringing Mike Davis back to be that guy um, because I think the saints paid their second guy, you know, at least $3 million or $4 million or something like that.
0: But they, they did, but they also, they also let Ingram walk to, to Baltimore at some point as well. So that there's a, there's a did. clear, like that, you're willing to invest in it, but you're only willing to invest so much in it. I think that's really where it is with Davis is, is it, is he going to get, you know, Melvin Ingram money or is he going to get uh, Murray money? And, and, and yeah. I, I think that's potentially some of it. It's also, I'm really hesitant to, to start trying to project onto the Saints because I think I think Joe Brady clear they clearly ran a very Saints like offense last year, yeah. which is clearly which is also importantly very differently different from what they ran at LSU with Joe Brady. Yeah. And I think it will be interesting to see how much of it they try to run back and how much of the LSU stuff they try and work in. Because I think LSU did not do that kind of thing. LSU um you know, we heard a lot about, you know, five-man protections and 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 you know, spreading defenses with with four receivers and that kind of stuff. And then we saw a lot of like three to ten formations and two to ten formations. So I think it. I don't know how much. It's, it's hard to know because of COVID and because it's their first season how much of what the offense that they're going to run we saw in in, in 2020. So I I don't know whether it's safe to assume that we will see that Saints type. Of, offense. I, I don't know. I think it's, it's it's reasonably likely that we see that. I just don't think it's necessarily tacked on that. That's what we're going to see just because Joe Brady has this background in quite different schemes and it's not clear how they're going to marry together and what he tries to do going forwards in Carolina.
1: Well, I, I do think, you know, there's some merit to what you just said. I think we saw a lot of the Saint stuff because of the lack of an off season.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so when you think about us not having a true off season, brand new coaching staff, Brand new quarterback, new receivers, new pieces. The person who was dependent on a lot to translate what the offense should look like was the quarterback that they yeah. have in place currently, and that's Teddy Bridgewater, who was coming from the Saints system. Yeah. So, given that they didn't have time to really institute, you know, the full game plan that Joe Brady may have envisioned, the easiest thing to do was just to go with the game plan that was already un- understood, you know, by the quarterback. Yeah. I think. This year, depends on what they do at the quarterback position, whether they trade for a vet, draft yeah, yeah. a guy. I think if there's a new quarterback, and, you know, a lot of the news suggests that they could be, but they also couldn't be. But if there is a new guy, I think you start seeing the evolution of the the, the new offense or, you know, the Joe Brady, yeah. you know, offense. You know, and and, and so it's, it's intriguing, you know, to see where that could go. But, you know, also, you know, just kind of shifting back to how the running backs fit within, you know, those offenses. You know, we have an all-world running back. You know, we we don't know what the complementary running back situation is going to look like. You know, from the running backs that we've discussed today, obviously, there's a lot of depth at that position. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, through the draft, all the way through the undrafted free agent prospects. The yeah. cool thing about the running back position is that you could find an all-pro type guy, a pro bowler type talent as an undrafted free agent. You yeah. know, you just don't you have to make sure that you, like you said, get them in, get them in, you and know, into in training camp, see how they play when they line up against the talent of the on the NFL level. And you know, is a lot of times with the running back position is all about opportunity and who's ready to step up. To the opportunity you know when they get it and so i'm i'm, I'm excited um for the running backs you know who are in this draft i'm also excited you know for the running back that we have re returning, or the running backs that we have returning and i think you know with having kristen mccaffrey back regardless of what the the game plan becomes in 2021 if he's healthy at least we'll know what the offense looks like with Christian McCaffrey in it, yeah, um, and then hopefully they don't use him, you know, to the point where he has to have 400 touches in order to yeah. to be All Pro again. Um, I want to see him use, like you said, more innovatively, uh, more naturally to what his skill set actually is. You know, use him more in the passing game. Maybe give him 15 touches a game as a as a rusher. Yeah. And, if- and, you know, and then, you know, let somebody else come in and get another 10 um, yeah. as a running back, you know, and, and that's the that's always the balance I want to see from Kristen McCaffrey. But, you know, maybe we get one of these guys that we talked about or somebody that we didn't, that we didn't mention, you know, in, in the names that we mentioned today. Um, before we go, I, I do want to remind everyone that we do have Caleb Huntley on for an interview. So you know, please stay on. And so you can hear that conversation. But before we go. I want to remind you that Skyline the Culture can be found on Spotify and on Apple uh, iTunes podcasts um, where you can go and subscribe. Remember to rate and review us. Um, you can find me, JJ Hardy, at Panthers Culture on Twitter, and you can find Vincent. And what's your, what's your handle, Vincent?
0: At V Richardson
1: 444. At V at Richardson 444. Yep. So you can find either one of us there. But before you go, check out Caleb
0: Huntley's interview with Vincent Richards. Hey, Caleb, thanks for joining us on Scouting the Culture. How is the, like, preparation for the draft going? What have you sort of been up to in the last few weeks and sort of building up to the draft slowly? Um, really just, you know,
3: trimming body fat down, uh, getting into, like, 40 work technique-wise, because, uh, like, anybody can run a 40, but, like, it's just so many aspects that go into it, like hand timing when you, when you shoot your hands out of the break or keep your head down, stuff like that. So,
0: I mean, just working hard every day, trying to improve on, on the little things. Is, is all the focus right now really on that kind of like athletic testing type stuff and the sort of the pre-draft measurables or, or, or are you also kind of training more like you would in the build of the season?
3: Uh, we're not really training as far as uh, development for the season. But it's more so uh, pre-draft stuff. uh, Making sure, you know, your hips are loose. Making sure your first step is quick. um, Just making sure you're your most athletic self when uh, you're about to start testing.
0: So when is your sort of like actual testing day? Because I couldn't couldn't find a date for Ball State's Pro Day. So when are you actually doing that? It's supposed to be April 7th as of now. Okay. And that that is at Ball State? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. I mean... Obviously, this year is a bit weird because of COVID. I mean, last year was a bit as well, but, you know, with scouts maybe not having the same access to you and and, and to, 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 to sort of go and see you in person they would have done in previous years. Does that actually change very much from your point of view or, or for you is the process basically just the same and, and you turn up and, and you do your pro day and, and you interview and you interview and it is what it is kind of thing? Uh, not really, because I, I kind of took advantage of opportunities
3: that presented their so, themselves. Um, there was a couple of ball games I got invited to. So I made sure I went to those and, um, represented myself well, taught the team scouts, um, and then worked out for them. So they got to see what I, I was able to do. So, um, I don't feel like it's a whole lot different in that aspect other than, uh, them being at games, but I actually had a couple of scouts uh, come to some of my games. So, um, Okay. I guess it was it was kind of different because the the numbers of people allowed, but I mean, one or two scouts is better than no scouts. So oh, yeah, I yeah. Can't,
0: have you have you met with the Panthers at all, or, or, or are they not one of the teams you've met with yet? The Panthers, um, I'm not sure. I'm
3: not sure. Uh, I might have okay. uh, weeks ago, but I'm not sure. I met with a, a lot of teams so far.
0: Yeah, not I can imagine. I mean, I mean, you, you talked about sort of, you know, showing what you can offer teams and stuff, and, and a chance to pr- prove, you know, that, that you belong in the NFL level. I mean, one of the biggest question marks I think teams will probably have, sort of, based on just your tape and, and what you've put out so far, is kind of the receiving game and the passing side of the game. Obviously, you're not being used as a receiver very much. Ball state was, at least in part, due to how that offense worked and stuff. But I mean, how how do you go about proving that's what you that, that's something you can do at a high level, and sort of, in the NFL? Um, just
3: attacking it every day uh, when people tell me that I can't you know receive out of the backfield or I don't have any value there um, I just use that as fuel to the fire and when I'm at the facility every day I'm catching jugs catching passes from quarterbacks stuff like that just to improve that ability that I already have but just to make make sure that they know that okay well when we throw him the ball he's gonna he's gonna come
0: out with a catch so I guess emphasis on that. Do you have any thoughts on, on, I mean, for people who maybe haven't seen the tape and haven't watched that much of Ball state, do you, do you, do you have sort of a, a perspective on why, why you weren't used that heavily as a receiver in that offense?
3: Honestly, um, because we just had so many good receiving weapons. Uh, I'm better at receiving and, uh, I'm better at running the ball than I am at receiving, uh, obviously. So maybe that was a reason for that, but, um, there's there's no reason why I couldn't have got passes out the backfield. It just um, I was taking so many carries, they would just rather pass the ball to somebody else when it came time to pass the ball. So I mean, it wasn't by design, but uh, it happened that way.
0: I mean, you from what I've seen, you were used in sort of pass protection, not a lot. I mean, you often weren't on. Yeah, when when you were on the field, it was because it was a rushing play kind of thing. Um, but you were used in pass protection a fair amount. I mean that's often something that that gets pointed to as, as something that, that like college running backs can, can struggle to translate. Is that something that you're kind of, you're actually working on your pass protection at the moment, or is that just something where you're trying to, you're trying to take the tape that you have done in that regard and, 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 and convince teams that that's a, a building block for where you can be going forwards. Definitely
3: working on that. Um, I felt like I could have had tighter hands at,
0: at uh, sometimes
3: during the season. So like, Anything that I feel like I need to work on, I'm working on it right now. Uh, Because as you know, like as a player, you can never be good enough. So uh, I make sure I harp on those little things so I can make myself a better
0: player. So how how do you actually go about working on that? Is that just just basically just doing sort of sets against, you know, air or or, or are there particular sort of uh, things you're doing to work on that?
3: Uh, Well, we got bags at the facilities. And I'm just working on striking them with tight hands, uh, keeping my my uh, fingers up when I'm striking it, uh, and getting to the top of my bench press.
0: Okay. I mean, I think sort of piggybacking off that a little bit. Um, so one of the things that uh, I, I, you know, from what I've read and what I've seen that you could potentially be used at is maybe playing some fullback as well as running back? I don't know if you remember how Mike Tolbert was used in Carolina a few years ago where, you know, he'd get some carries and then he'd also go and do some blocking. Is that, is that something that teams have mentioned to you or something that you've thought about? And kind of how do you see your game translating as potentially sort of that, that player who can play both running back and maybe some fullback at the NFL level?
3: Honestly, um, I've had some teams uh, talk to me about that. But to me, it really doesn't matter what they ask me to do. As long as they need me to do it, I'm going to do it. So uh, that's how I feel about that. But at the same time, I don't want to be labeled as just no guy that can, you know, just be the fullback type of dude because I got some juice to me, uh, believe it or not. Like, they're going to see. I don't, I don't like. I don't really like explaining myself too much. I'd rather just prove it uh, when my time comes. But uh, I'm not just one of them guys that can just run, run through people and run uh, for – four or five yard games I can break some big runs as well so uh, I'm looking forward to proving myself uh,
0: when that chance comes I think one of the things that really struck me when sort of watching you on tape is sort of the way you go into contact because I mean quite often when people think of sort of bigger running backs they look at sort of you know the guy just lining someone up and running them over but you the way you run you almost kind of try and bounce off defenders it seems like, like I mean is that something that you consciously go into tackles, go trying to bounce off defenders, or is it just that something that's how you've always run and that's just how it works?
3: That's pretty much how I always ran. Uh, I don't really try to make myself do anything. Everything with me is really instinctual. Mm-hmm. So
0: everything you see me on the doing on the field is really just my instincts. Yeah, no, it's interesting because quite often, like. You, you you seem to have the tendency to almost like half leave your feet going into contact and it's it sort of it's, it's almost like you're bouncing off you're, you're, you're rather than trying to break the tackle you're just sort of bouncing off it and then trusting your contact balance to regain your feet is that something that you actually kind of work on like you say it's instinctive but is it a thing that kind of knowing you do that you then work on particular things to allow you to do that or is it is it just kind of that's always been how you, how you, did you think about it when you're doing, not even when you're doing it, but do you think about that as something you build into your game or is that just something that you've always been able to do?
3: Um, like I said, that's pretty much something I've always been able to do, but uh, this past off season in particular, uh, I made sure I, I did a little extra work on that, on that piece of my game. Uh, you know how you had to balance balls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, uh kind of do some exercises where I catch a football and like try to uh, catch as many as I can without falling on a balance ball. So uh, I feel like that helped me a lot with my balance and stuff like that. Just it's just about the little things for real. I mean, I kind of attack everything so I can become a better player.
0: I mean, going into this draft process, do, do you have much of an expectation about you know, how it's going to play out or is it, is it very much sort of like you take each day as it comes and, and you, you see where you end up at the end of it kind of thing? Um,
3: honestly, I don't,
0: I don't know where or how it's
3: going to take uh, place, but uh, just kind of keeping my focus uh, towards the process and trusting that God has me in the end, taking things one day at a time. Uh, honestly, don't it doesn't matter to me where I fall. I know once I get my opportunity, that I'm gonna make the most of it. Like I've done my whole life. So um, that's how I feel about that.
0: Okay, I think just the final question I have is that obviously it's quite uncertain right now what's happening with the Combine and stuff. Have you heard anything in terms of whether, whether you'll get uh, interviews through the Combine or is that still not something that's kind of emerged in terms of the details of how that's gonna work?
3: Um, that hasn't emerged yet.
0: Um, but whether I do or whether
3: I don't, uh, really doesn't change much for me. Uh, take everything like I've been doing it. Um, I've always been an underdog, so not receiving a combine invite really is not going to change my focus uh, of what I'm trying to accomplish. So, uh,
0: Thanks a lot for speaking to us. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks for spending the time. And best of luck. And hope to see you in Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you.